1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So regardless where you work or how people-oriented you think you are or how empathetic and caring you are as a human being, I am betting, in fact, it's worse than betting, I know everyone eventually runs into someone where the relationship is a little bit less than ideal, shall we say. You can have whatever words you'd like to put in with that one in there, but there's usually some degree of tension, some disagreement. Maybe even you don't particularly like the person very much. And I'm suspecting there's a little mutual relationship accordingly. So the question is, what do you do in those occasions? How do you work through those occasions without giving up too much of yourself in the process, without overcompromising, without underperforming in terms of the work you need to do together? We're going to talk a lot about how do you structure those critical conversations, how you prepare yourself, and ultimately, how do you have them? So my guest today is Michael Bungay Stanier. Michael helps people know they're awesome and they're doing great. He's best known for one of my favorite books that I have recommended a thousand times called The Coaching Habit. It is a best-selling coaching book of the century and already likely to be a classic. And his new book, How to Work with Almost in Parenthesis Anyone, exactly what we're going to talk about today. Um, Michael's a Rhodes Scholar. He dabbles in the ukulele. He's an Australian living in Toronto. And if you want to know more about Michael, check out his website and his lovely newsletter ret- at mbs, for Michael Bungay Stanier, dot works. And Michael, welcome to the show.
2: That is a lovely introduction. Thank you. And I thank you also for promoting and mentioning the Coaching Habit book. That's kind of you.
1: I have done, well, I've recommended it. I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> I just think it's an awesome book. So anybody listening should go buy it. If you want to know how coach is a manager, this is the answer for you. All right, Michael, I have to ask the first question. I know you've written a couple of other books between The Coaching Habit and this one, but why this topic? On the surface, this seems like a big shift. Teaching managers to coach to how do I work with anyone? What led to that?
2: Well, uh- I I can point to three different things. One is, I think this book does grow from the same soil as some of the other books, which is how do you make more human connection in the work that you do? And I think being more coach-like, staying curious longer, which is the heart of the coaching habit book and its sister book, The Advice Trap, that's what that's about, which is like when you ask a great question, one of the things you're doing is you're empowering the other person. But one of the things you're doing is you're staying kind of a more human to human connection. Then if you step back a bit with uh, this book, you're like, actually, working with people is both massively rewarding and massively tricky (laughs) at the same time. You know, it'd be like, who hasn't said work would be terrific if I didn't have to work with all these people all the time? We've all had that moment. So this is an ongoing way of going, look, how do you bring out the best in each other? How do you do work that matters? And how do you build a working relationship that feels the best possible relationship?
1: Okay. Sounds reasonable to me. And I see the threads for sure. Yeah. Because the hallmark for me of the coaching habit is these lovely questions that just get you to keep asking and asking and asking and asking. And I think that is what makes it so powerful. Yeah. Um, And what I find fascinating about this book is a series of questions you're having people to prepare. So I see some similarities there. (laughs) For sure. When you step back and you say, what's going wrong in relationships? not manager subordinate now, but let's go peer to peer. Yep. What do you see is really happening?
2: That is a really great question. it's a big question as well. I, I mean, it, it depends, of course, because every working relationship is different. And it depends on the two individuals. It depends on the status they have, because it could be somebody and their boss. It could be somebody in their direct report. It could be them and a colleague that they're trying to collaborate with. It could be them with a key client or a key vendor, So there's all sorts of context in which something can happen. But whatever happens, you know something's going to happen somewhere along the track where it goes off the rails. It could be a broken promise. It could be a misunderstanding. It could be something said in frustration and anger that kind of landed more heavily than it might. There's all sorts of reasons that a a working relationship might become suboptimal. The question is: If you know that's going to happen, and I promise you it will, <laughs> how do you how do you get back on track? How do you give yourself the best possible chance for this relationship to recover? Now, the good news is, I think most working relationships are to an extent self healing. You know, necessity and time, <laughs> and the and we need to get the work done. It just means that we're like, okay, we'll just we'll get over this. Get over yeah. But rather than just hoping that. It'll sort itself out and just hoping that your, your working relationships are going to be fine. So much of your success and your happiness depends on the quality of your working relationships. What if you actively manage that rather than just cross your fingers?
1: Yeah. Well, what if we, better than that, had a process to think about how to actively manage it as opposed to stressing about it for the next week <laughs> and a half? talking to all my friends and family, get 15 pieces of advice and then not following through on any of them because I don't know which one to start with.
2: Yeah, well, indeed. So <laughs> the, the, the process that I'm suggesting in this new book is, well, the, the, the actual process is called the keystone conversation, which you could summarize in a single sentence, which is this, have a conversation about how you work together before you plunge into what you're going to be working on. Or if you're in the middle of a relationship like most of us are, stop for a moment, stop doing the work and just pull back and go, hey, Wanda, you and me, how can we work the best together so it's as good as it can be for you and it's as good as it can be for me and we get the work done in the best possible way? And that is a remarkably rare conversation because the work is always so loud and so present and so noisy and so urgent and so attractive. I mean, you've mentioned the coaching habit. You know, one of the key questions is, what's the real challenge here for you? It's like an early focus on the work. And of course, the work needs to be done. But if you can step back and go, I'm going to worry about the working relationship, it gives you even more chance of doing the work in a brilliant way.
1: You're uh, reminding me of a conversation a few years ago with a good friend who's been a very successful entrepreneur and was early in his stage in the company. That was the successful one. And he said, you know, I can get my management team, a great group of management uh, team, fantastic. I really like them. I can get them together. And some days we're just making decisions, bing, 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 removing things. It's fantastic. And other days we couldn't decide what time it was (laughs) collectively. (laughs) And I remember saying to him, stop. If you don't invest in the relationships, it's when you've invested in the relationships, you've managed all those micro conversations that then you're going to be able to work through the work in an efficient manner. If you don't, you're going to waste time trying to get to a decision instead. I think you put the time in one way or the other.
2: I think you do. And, you know, there's a short term and a longer term benefit of having this conversation about how will we work together. The, the the short-term benefit is you find some stuff out <laughs> about each other that you're like, okay, you, you hate you hate Slack, so I should probably not communicate with you on Slack. You hate being micromanaged, so I should probably try and figure out how not to micromanage. You love the ability to kind of generate new ideas, so I should find opportunities for that. So you've got those short-term answers that really help. But there's a unexpected longer-term and perhaps deeper benefit, which is, you've given each other permission to keep talking about the health of the relationship. Because if you don't, most of the time when things go wrong, you all just kind of either double down on the work, let's just work harder. And hopefully that somehow fixes everything or you, or or it kind of leaks out and, and kind of the, the brokenness kind of keeps, keeps being sand in the gears. But if you've had that first conversation about how will we work together, I can then go, Hey, Wanda, can we talk about how we're working together? Because you know, I'm feeling something's off or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling let down or I feel like I want to clear something up with you.
1: Yeah, it's starting it out initially so that that's a normal working pattern for us, that there's a language to use as well to describe where I'm at my best, where you're at your best, how we're going to compromise, collaborate accordingly. Exactly. Okay, all right. So this is a process to start working on how we work together. One of the things I'm going to go back to the very beginning, one of the things that I like about this particular book is the notion that you have to do some preparation, that you don't just go headlong into the conversation. I say, Michael, how do you like to work together? And Michael says a bunch of stuff, I don't know. And I say, me either. And that's the end of the conversation. So, But some of the books that I have read or some of the advice that I've heard from people have an overboiling of the ocean, in my opinion. On the prep, which makes it daunting and probably not stuff you want to say to other people either. Right. So walk me through your thinking on this notion of prep, you know, like what are the key questions? Why is this essential?
2: Yeah. Well, it comes down to neuroscience, I think. So in the Coaching Habit book, I talk about TERA, T-E-R-A, the neuroscience of engagement which is if you can make an experience with somebody else feel tribey, you know, are we together? Um, you can have expectation. I know it's going to happen. You have rank in meaning you and I both feel about the same, or you feel more important than I do and autonomy. You've got choice. Then you're going to feel more engaged. You're going to feel more like stepping towards me rather than stepping away from me. So mm-hmm. a framing is whenever you're a manager or a leader or a, anybody working with somebody how do i increase the Tera t-e-r-a quotient to create a more engaged experience when you say to somebody hey wonder i want to have a conversation with you about how we work together <laughs> that's going to get their little amygdala lizard brain kind of going i'm sorry what what is that i've not really done that much before and what does that mean and it's actually going to raise a level of anxiety because it is a bit unusual and perhaps a bit awkward So you can do a couple of things to, to calm things down, particularly investing around the expectation, which is like, let me tell you the questions I think might be helpful. And in the book, there are five questions that you can possibly kind of work through. And you can also say, and I'm going to spend a bit of time preparing for this. So I know what I want to say to you and you know what you might want to say to me as well. I really try and work with the the reality of most managers and leaders, which is like, I do not have time for a three-hour therapy session. I don't have time to go away on a desert island and spend time staring into the mirror and reflecting on, you know, the deep essence of who I am. You know, the, the coaching habit and the advice trap is all about if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. So let me make this fast and practical for you. But I do think that having a bit of time around going, well, who am I and how do I like to work? You know know thyself actually allows you to better forge these kind of best possible relationships with people. Right. Um, you know, another way of framing to this wonder is to say, look, building adult to adult relationships mm-hmm. is a really powerful thing to do with the people with whom you work. Well, what's an adult to adult relationship? Because it sounds good, but it also sounds a bit kind of therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, here's how I frame an adult to adult relationship, asking for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no. But you need to know how to ask for what you want. You need to know what you want. And when you work through these questions, it actually helps you kind of go, well, who am I? and How do I work at my best? And what are my patterns? And when do I shine? And when do I flow? And how can I communicate that, give that other person the very best chance of bringing out my best and not getting in my way?
1: Okay, sounds effective. How do I get there in a short, reasonable amount of time without a mountaintop
2: experience? Yeah, well, um, the five, there are five questions to ask and answer. So just starting with those five questions and going, what, is, what are your answers off the top of your head? <laughs> yeah. Because they're all pretty straightforward. You know, the first one is like, well, what's your best? You know, when do you shine? When do you flow? The second one is like, what are your patterns and preferences? Like, what are your habits? How do you like to work? And of course, there are, there are more prompts in the book around all of this, but these are the headlines. The third and the fourth questions are just looking back on good and bad past relationships and go, what can you learn from past successful relationships? What can you learn from past kind of frustrating relationships? Right. And then the fifth question is, well, how do you fix this? How will we fix it when something goes wrong? And everybody has at least three answers to all of those questions off the top of their head. I promise you. If I go, look, tell me about a, think of a a relationship that sucked. Yes. (laughs) What did that teach you about what's good for you and what's bad for you? There's stuff there, isn't there? And I'm like, okay, think of how you've fixed working relationships before. You know, how do you do that? How do you go about making up when something's got broken? You've got some wisdom around that. So there's immediate answers and it's just helpful to have, you know, spent 10 minutes thinking about those before a conversation. And then there are exercises to deepen those uh, answers if you want to throughout the rest of the book.
1: Okay. So I'm going through and I'm saying, what is me at my best? So I'm thinking about occasions that I feel like I have done my best work. I've had the most fun, had the best relationships with people. And I'm looking for what kind of answers in that one, Michael?
2: Well, I think um, you could talk about three different levels of answers. And again, I'm going to pull up on another model from the coaching habit, the 3P model. Mm -hmm. 3P model is projects, people, and patterns. So if you're asking, you know, who are you at your best? And I've started saying, so when do you shine? (laughs) And when are you in the flow state? Those are two kind of like physical manifestations Mm -hmm. people can kind of react to and, and, and get So, first of all, I'm like, well, so what's the sort of work that brings out your best? You know, what's what's that sort of stuff where you're like, I'm really good in this type of context, doing this sort of stuff? That kind of lights me up. The next type of answer could be around, here's the type of people I work with best, or here's the, you know, I work best by myself, or I work best in a team, or I work best in brainstorming, or I work best as a leader, or I work best as a 2IC. There may be a way of describing the relationships in which you shine, in which you flow. And then the third level is like, well, kind of what are your your essential qualities? Who are you at your best? What do you stand for? What do you care about? You know, I'm good at advocating. I'm good at being creative. I'm good at standing for this or standing for that. So there's three different doorways where you can kind of play around with finding the language about who are you at your best.
1: Okay. So just to repeat this, I'm thinking about times when I shine when I'm in a flow state, I would add, you didn't say when I'm really proud of the outcome.
2: I like that. Yeah, I like that. Okay.
1: And I'm looking at the kind of work I was doing. Yeah. Maybe the kind of outcomes that, you know, what happened to that. I'm looking for the types of people, the types of interactions that really put me at my best. And I'm looking for the patterns, the qualities, the values okay. you didn't say, the type of activities. So how would
2: you, I mean, out of just nosy curiosity, how would you answer some of that?
1: For me personally? Yeah,
2: for you personally.
1: Uh, I am at my best without a doubt when there is a new idea to do something with. So yeah. it's not pure brainstorming. It's an idea that we're going to twist and shape and form. Mm. I'm best at doing that with a couple of other people. And there are some particular qualities of those other people that make it very effective. Right. And when we've got the time and space to explore, to come back, explore again, come back, explore again, and reshape really something that's going to have meaning. That's me at my best.
2: I hear you. And I love how articulate you are. And if I was going to be working with you, i like, how useful <laughs> that is just to hear that from you right away. Because I'm like, first of all, I get this immediate, I mean, i kind of getting a little kind of goosebumps sort of, but this kind of hit from you because you you really kind of amped up as soon as you started talking about that. You, I could see, I mean, you've got good lighting anyway, you look fantastic, but you kind of went up another level in terms of shining and kind of saying that just as you talked about that. And then, in the book there's an there's an interesting distinction around what you're good at and what you're fulfilled by, and that's something to potentially tease apart because um so often we get a little bit trapped by our competence, the curse of competence, yeah. like wonder like you, I am really good at starting stuff, and I love it that's where like i'm I mean I'm like at the start of it, I'm like rubbing my hands going, oh, there's adventure ahead, I'm up for that. I'm pretty good at getting a project across the finish line, but it is not a source of joy for me. So I'm like, I would say to somebody, look, I'm good at this, but if you can find somebody else to kind of close it out, then that's going to work better for me and better for the other person. I can do it in a pinch, but I'd rather not. And Mm -hmm. That's also helpful because so often we project onto others. If you're good at it, you probably like doing it. And that's actually not the case.
1: Yeah, I I resonate with that. There are so many things that I can do and do quite well. I don't enjoy them. And I avoid them. Like that'll be the last minute thing that comes up for me. And you're right. I do get jazzed and excited by this. I can also tell you, though, that go right straight to one of your other questions. The worst relationships, the worst working relationships are people who don't want to think with me. Right. They want to go off and think by themselves and come back with a finished product. Not my cup, not. Got, I'm going to struggle with that one always. I can do it. I've learned to do it. But you yeah. see where the two ties come. Why it's so important. It's starting with what's true at your best.
2: So that that question is called the bad day question, and yeah. um, it's like what can you learn from past frustrating working relationships? And the obvious place to go is just where you went, which is let me tell you about these type of people <laughs> yeah. and what they do and what they say and what they don't do and what they say that drives me nuts and is frustrating. And you can kind of get head up about it because you can imagine these people and you're kind of having flashbacks to those experiences but i think often it's powerful to think about well what's your role in those past unflattering frustrating working relationships what did you say and not say and what did you do and not do so if you were to think of the working relationships where you felt a bit trapped Mm -hmm. And you went, this is how I get trapped. This is how I contribute to that. How would you answer that, Wanda?
1: Um, By pushing my way. Right. So easy to do. I get frustrated and then I come at it a little bit harder. (laughs) It's so hard to ramp back from that and to create the space that's needed. Got it. That's one. I'm sure there's a hundred others that I haven't thought of, but that one I'm aware of.
2: And so I love that you're role modeling a, you've always, there's always an answer. Like you've got a first answer and there's probably other things as well, which a little bit of thinking would uncover, but you're already there. And what that does is it sets up the, well, how will we fix it when you go wrong? When it's like, when I notice you kind of pushing your weight around a little bit and kind of like trying to get your way and doing that thing. And I'm feeling a bit frustrated about that because I, I'm not good with people who are too pushy. Well, how will we notice that and how will we say it to each other and how will we fix it? because i want to keep working with you and there's going to become this moment where actually i go away and have some ideas and come back going ta-da and you're like ah that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work best for me so i'm going to kind of muscle in and i'm like what the hell's going on with Wanda? she's muscling in and suddenly we're we're a little bit broken even with our best intentions of trying to make this work now we've got permission to go hey i'm noticing this are you noticing this What do we need to do to reset, to get back to the best possible relationship, the best version of what we can come up with?
1: Okay, so for this prep question, I'm looking at me at my best, when I shine, when there's flow, when I'm proud of the work, I'm looking at the projects, I'm looking at the people, I'm looking at the patterns, I'm looking at my preferences, my habits. So any assessment tools that I might have ever taken give me language to think about those habits and preferences. I think that's why we like it so much.
2: Yeah, I'm looking the, at the mechanics of how you yeah. how you work often. Yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Um, I'm better at the morning. I'm better in the evening. I'm better or whatever. Yeah. I don't like email. I do like phone calls. Whatever those claims, well,
2: whatever whatever it can be. It's like I like I like meetings that are seven minutes or less, <laughs> or whatever you know, any of that sort of stuff. Where you like, I, we we assume that the way we work is common sense, and it's actually not. It's we've we've kind of got our tweaky things over over time. So um, this is about kind of going. Let me just tell you some of the mechanics. So in case where we overlap and where we don't overlap.
1: Okay, and then I'm looking at the good dates, the good relationships, the ones that have really been a joy, fun, put me in flow, they yeah. give they leave me feeling fulfilled. Right. And I'm asking what was it about those relationships and what was my contribution.
2: Yeah. Because okay? one of the key the key mechanics in this conversation wonder is to both ask and answer the questions. You know, this work kind of has its origin in the work of Peter Block. And he called it social contracting, which is not the great title for me, but the powerful thing in that title is contracting because a contract is an equal exchange of value. And so you need to not only be going, well, tell me about your best relationships, but you also have to say, let me tell you my best relationship. So there's this exchange of information. So you both go, we know more about each other now. What are we going to do with that to amplify the very best of who we can be?
1: All right. So, and I'm also looking up at the bad relationships, the things that were broken, the bad dates, as you like to call it. And I want to look at my role. What is it yeah. that I contribute on that? Right. And then we want to shift to what are we going to do to fix it when things go wrong? Because they always go wrong.
2: They always People go wrong.
1: Always go wrong. Some always goes wrong. Just guaranteed.
2: And you're giving each other permission to talk about it when it goes wrong and to try and be committed to repairing it when it goes wrong. Because just like there's that amazing research that says if you're a retail brand and you kind of make it, you screw up with a customer, but you do a really good job at fixing it, they become more loyal to you. I mean, it's one of those perverse things where you're like, if you're smart as a retail brand, you should build in a mistake that gets solved brilliantly as part of your customer journey. Because they're like, let me tell you. They did this, but then they did that. I love them. It doesn't make any sense, really, when you think about it. But there's something true here, which is if you have a relationship that goes through a a rough patch and you figure out how to get it back on track, you are both now more committed to this working relationship.
1: Is yes, there's a sense of possibility. There's a sense of right. humanity in it. There's a sense of, I mean, I think we all appreciate when somebody recognizes they messed up yeah. and admit it. That's the humanity, the authenticity.
2: The, but the vulnerability and the resilience and the shared responsibility for taking it, it's kind of a expression of an adult-to-adult adult relationship, which is we think this is important enough to get it fixed. Right, right.
1: I have to make a pause here just because it's a funny reminder. Um, when I was defending my dissertation, don't ask me what year that was. It was too many years ago. But anyway, I remember some advice I got from someone else who just finished their dissertation and they said, put a flaw in your dissertation. that when your committee finds it, you can go, oh, right, you were right. Well, here's the way to fix it. And everybody is happy. They found (laughs) the mistake. You can think on your feet. Same idea here. (laughs)
2: I've got a a, a story similar to that, running a training session in front of a a group of trainers. So they're the worst crowd because they're like, we're just going to judge you. And I was doing everything I could to impress them. I did a magic trick, but it didn't work. And it ended up To cut a long story short, me sliming myself with orange jelly. (laughs) Everybody at the end of the session was like, it was fine, but Michael, get a new magic trick. I'm like, brilliant. (laughs) I distracted (laughs) them with that thing and they missed all the other flaws in the training. So not dissimilar from your dissertation story.
1: I got that one. I got that one. Okay. Um, Now the process for this one is I'm going to collect these questions and then I'm going to say, to somebody else, I like if I work with you, Michael. I'd like to talk to you about how we work together. Yeah, here are some questions I'm thinking about that I think we should talk about. Yeah, why don't you have a think about for yourself? Yeah, before we sit down.
2: Yeah, or it, it depends on the on it depends on the nature of the relationship. Like when I am setting up with a, like a vendor, for instance, um, I'll just say. Before we get into the contract and the work I want you to do and, and how we want to figure this out, just tell me, what, what does it being a great client look like to you? Tell me about the best client relationships you've had. And now tell me about the worst ones. Now let me tell you about what a great vendor is to me. And now let me tell you where I get really frustrated with vendors. And They're always a bit taken aback, but we get into a conversation. And again, it's useful in exchange of information right at the start. But it also allows me to come back and go, let me tell you why you're not living up to what a good vendor is for me. Or they can say, Michael, you talked about we need need a timely response to our stuff and you're bottlenecking us again. (laughs) What will we do about that? So it gives us permission to keep caring about the relationship. So right. you can do preparation, but you don't have to. You can leap right into it.
1: Right into it. But these and so what's interesting is there's a whole set of questions and a set of exercises and a deeper dive, and you can take it as shallow or as deep as you want to do All right. All right. Um, I want to spend more time talking about how do we fix it. But this seems like a perfect place for a break, because when we come back from the break, what I want to talk about is how does this conversation really work? Script for me how it flows. And then I want to come back and talk about repair. Perfect. My guest today is Michael Bungay Stanier. The book that we are talking about is How to Work with Almost Anyone. And if you hadn't gotten the message already and you don't know the coaching habit, add that to your to do list as well. We'll be right back.
0: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.OutOfTheComfortZone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on OutOfTheComfortZone.com. We hope you'll join us.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum helping organizations get it and keep it a little birdie told me voice america is on twitter follow us at voice america trn you are listening to out of the comfort zone to reach dr wanda wallace or her guest call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back to the show. With me today is Michael Bungay Stanier. The book we're talking about is How to Work with Almost Anyone. And if you'd like to know more about Michael's work or subscribe to his lovely newsletter, you can check it out at mbs.works. All right, Michael, we've been talking about the need to do prep. Deep prep or light prep either way. We're looking at for when people are at their best, When they're in flow, when they shine, when they're proud of their work, we're looking at patterns and habits, the mechanics of how you like to work. We're looking at you with your best relationships and how you contributed. We're looking at you with your worst relationships and how you contributed. And we have some ideas about what we should do to fix it when things go wrong. All right. So I've done my homework. I've suggested (laughs) my counterpart that they do a little bit of homework. We're sitting down. Now, what do I say? How do we structure this conversation?
2: Well, I think the starting point is to invite them to that conversation. So as we said before the break, you know, there's a way you can just launch into it depending on the type of relationship, but often as a way of reducing anxiety and helping people be their best in this conversation, it's like, give them a bit of a head heads up, like come to the thing. It's not a big deal, but it's really important that we figure out how to work best together before we plunge into the actual work. And I think, The starting point is to go, look, how do I make this feel safe and less awkward? Because sometimes it feels a little unsafe and sometimes it feels a little awkward. And there's a few ways of doing that. Honestly, the the easiest way to make it feel less awkward is say something like, this is going to feel a little awkward. (laughs) And just to acknowledge that we don't talk about this very often. But then to make it feel safe, I go back to that neuroscience of engagement that we talked about before the break, tribe expectation, rank and autonomy. And I'm like, so let's have this conversation. So the first question, like, what's your best? Do you want to answer that first or should I go first? What would you like? So I'm giving them autonomy. I'm giving them rank. I'm giving them tribeness because we're figuring this out together. There's a sense that we're like, I'm going to make this as safe for you as possible. And if they want to go first, that is fantastic. You're like, brilliant. I'm really interested in to hear what you've got to say. Because they may just like, I just, I I want to get this going. (laughs) I don't want to be too influenced by what you're saying. But I think, and I think this is particularly true if you're the more senior person in the relationship, if you've got that kind of the balance of power, they'll often go, why don't you go first? (laughs) (laughs) Just so I can understand exactly what this is about. And this is a really powerful moment for your real opportunity, because the extent to which you demonstrate humanity and vulnerability and courage sets the parameters to the extent that they will demonstrate their humanity and their vulnerability and their courage. So the more you're willing to be true and messy human and kind of talk about the nuances and the subtleties rather than just kind of bland, high-level cliches, the more powerful it is because you're like, let me role model what I'm trying to get here. And that is a really powerful way to kick things off and make it feel safe and make it feel okay to get rolling.
1: Okay. I certainly see that in every seminar I ever run, Everyone, regardless what question you ask first, that you're asking people to divulge a little bit more. Right. If the first person gives you a benign answer like I work best in a team. That doesn't <laughs> right. tell me anything. Right. And right. then you're gonna struggle like mad to get something out of anybody else. But if you can get right. that right. first question answered with some depth, some right. honesty, right. then the rest will go. It's amazing what people will say.
2: Yeah. You know, it is um, you know, you know, when I asked you before the break, you know, so what yeah, want to answer that question, what is you at your best? And you're like, oh <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, you got into this. I love the start of it. Well, not when we're brainstorming, but when there's like all, all possibility and it's me and two other people and we're on this journey, and we're going to crack it together. And I could have said, What else? What else was happening with this? And you would have told me more details around that. And I would have just got this sense of you in that moment with that person. And I'm like, Man, that is great. I am seeing Wonder at her best as she tells me about Wonder at her best. Yeah. So that's why it can be really helpful for you to have done this preparation and to have have thought about what you might share, because it allows you to step out to the edge of as much as you're comfortable, as much as you're willing to share for the sake, not just of you, but for the sake of the relationship that you're building between this other person.
1: Okay. All right. So presumably when we do this conversation, we're not looking for me to go through every single question we're looking to just describe the pieces that are going to be relevant for our working relationship. Is that true?
2: Well, I think you've got a choice. Like I'm never, I'm never one to say you have to follow this script regardless of what's happening around you. The, the big takeaway to hold this is to say let's have a conversation about how we'll work together. What do you think that looks like? What can you tell me about your best? What can you tell me about your worst? How will we, how will we get more of one and less of the other? So you can frame that in any number of ways, um, I've often just used these five questions and I've actually gone, I'm going to work through these five one by one because they show and share useful, important data. Okay. And you know, when I was writing this book, you know, I started with more questions and I'm like, what's the least number of questions that could uncover the most amount of content. And I think these are the five questions I suggested. So you can follow these as a script and you don't have to sometimes okay. one question, opens it all up and you just have a really good conversation and you cover all that needs to be said
1: okay let me give you another hypothetical suppose now we do have a hierarchical difference and i'm the junior direct report and you are my manager and my manager with a good bit of status so there's distance between us in terms of whatever hierarchy and experience And you've never demonstrated over the couple of years that we've been working with a willingness to talk about how we work together. Yeah. But I believe it would be really useful. Coach me through how I start this conversation, please, and find the courage to start it.
2: Well, I think the starting point is to understand what you're striving for. And you're striving for the best possible relationship. You're not striving for the best relationship You're not striving for an amazing relationship. You're like, what's the best possible relationship that we could have? And that's always going to be limited by the the hierarchy and the personalities and the capacity of the people in that relationship. You know, when you think about your current and your past working relationships, they'll map out on a bell curve. You'll have a few up one end and they're like, I love this person. It's amazing. This is, why can't all my working relationships be like that? And you're going to have some down the other end where you're like, ah, oh, this is like sometimes the person you're like, sometimes uh, this person's terrible. But sometimes you're like they're not even a terrible person, but we just can't figure it out. There's sand in the gears. And most of your relationships are somewhere in the middle. You know, they're pretty good. There's six out of 10, seven out of 10. Sometimes they're a bit off. Sometimes they're a bit on, but whatever. All of those have potential. And you're like, how do we expand the potential as much as possible? And how do we live into the potential as much as possible? So if you're a junior person and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody that's senior, there's a degree of risk that you want to be aware of. And you want to think about how you manage that. And every choice you make has prizes and punishments. So one of the things to be weighing up here is like, what are the prizes and what are the punishments? One of the prizes is this could be a breakthrough. This could be a conversation she's never had with somebody like me before. Um, This could accelerate me working with a senior person in a way that just grinding away in the hierarchy, hoping I get noticed won't happen part of the punishment might be the person going, who are you? <laughs> why Why are we having this conversation? And I don't want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to weigh up to what extent you want to take that risk. And, you know, I painted it in generic uh, uh, strokes. I often think there's less to lose and more to gain than you might realize in a conversation like this, because often it's like it, the worst it happens, is the person goes, I'm not sure what that was about. The best that happens is you crack a relationship that you've not yet cracked. And it Mm -hmm. kind of accelerates you into a a new type of working with somebody who is senior and has influence and has experience and who has some degree of influence on you in your career. Um,
1: And how about if we've been working together for five years? Yeah. And it's okay. Is it still worth having these conversations?
2: Well, that is the question: Is it worth having this conversation? And um, I think oh, there's a range of answers that are actual right. One is like, no, <laughs> this is just not. This is absolutely not worth it. This is not a hill I want to die on. This feels broken or of no interest. It's just not worth it. Um, th- there's obviously going to be sometimes where you're like, I've got to sort this out. I've got to get better at this because not having a good working relationship is diminishing my experience of the work, because our working relationships do have such a big influence on our happiness and our success that even though it's hard, it can be really worth taking this on. And there might be a bunch of things in the middle I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is worth it or not. I might have to take a guess, take a gamble around that. Right.
1: I am working with three people at the moment, all of whom are so frustrated by some key working relationships. Yeah that they are nearly ready to quit and leave the organization. Right. It seems so, to me that before you quit, <laughs> you are to try the conversation and see if you get further down the line.
2: Yeah. So, so um, you know, if you're at that point where you're like, I'm, I'm really frustrated, and I'm going to quit. I mean, it's, it's worth saying, is it just that relationship? Is it just that one relationship that's driving you nuts? I mean, there's that well-known saying, people join organizations, but they leave managers and you're like, you know, I like the work, I like the culture, I like the organization, I can't stand this working relationship. Then you're like, I need to potentially try and fix this and give it my best shot, because it might be recoverable. It may never be brilliant, probably won't be, but mm-hmm. I'm like, how do I make this bad relationship tolerable? How do I remove some of the gross negatives about the thing that is most triggering and most frustrating and most irritating around this? Um, Is it fixable or is it not? And it it might not be, but it might be worth giving it a go because definitely if you're at a point where you're like, there's not much left to lose here, then it'd be like, well, you've got nothing left to lose. Why not give it a a crack?
1: (laughs) I often say people do their best work when they have nothing left to lose. So, okay, that's when we take our risk. All right, so let's talk about the fix-it. So let's say we were clever enough to have had a beginning conversation about how we wanted to work together. Let's say it's on a big project, or let's say we're peers, and we had some exchange, and now it's just not working so much. How do we go about fixing that?
2: Well, somebody has to be brave enough to say it, (laughs) to kind of point to it and and acknowledge where it might not be, where it might have got broken somehow. And that's always a tricky moment because if you're feeling upset and angry and betrayed and frustrated, whatever it might be, however it might be manifesting, you, you're you're not thinking straight. Um, so part of it for me, wonder, is a discipline to go: What do I need to say to this person to acknowledge what's going on? And I use a, a model I think derives from a nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg. And I try and take the swirling mess that's in my head <laughs> of all the stuff. And I try and put it, the, the elements into one of four different buckets. First of all, what's the data? What are the facts? What actually happened? Secondly is what are my feelings? Mm-hmm. I can never remember Brené Brown's 73 feelings from the Atlas of the Heart. So I go with five mad, sad, glad, ashamed, and afraid. That. That gives me a start. Then I go, what are my judgments? And oh man, there are so many judgments. When something has gone wrong, you're just you you become a judgment generating machine. You got judgments about them, for sure. You've probably got judgments about you and your role in this and how you did stuff that you shouldn't have. And you've got judgments just about the messed upness of the whole situation. So three different perspectives on the judgments. And then The fourth element is what do you want or what do you need? And when you untangle this or decant this into four different buckets, you've got some choices now on what to say, because you don't want to say all of it. (laughs) Most of those judgments you don't want to put out in the public. Like what's going to be useful here in my commitment to a best possible relationship, what's useful to share. And often it is the data. Often it is, a few feelings and judgments, but ones that are less accusatory and more about how you're doing. I I'm frustrated because it seems to be a repeating problem. That's a feeling judgment statement. You know, I'm I'm sad because we just can't seem to figure this out. That's a feeling judgment statement. But then, for me, the key, the thing that often unlocks this, is knowing what you want or what you need. I think we resist these kind of feedback moments less because of the, you know, the scariness of the conversation, the fear of conflict, the fear of tears, and more because we haven't quite articulated what, what you're asking for. And I think if you go, I want you to stop this, or I want us, I want to do more of that, or I want to get this relationship back on track, or I want to figure out how to get over this hump. That becomes a really powerful statement. And once you figure out what you want to ask, what you want to say, what you want to, shift to be different the rest of what needs to be said becomes more obvious
1: yeah i find to echo that so many times when a relationship is broken or there's frustration with a manager and you say what do you want this person to do differently i just gave you a magic wand you could uh, have anything happen what do you want this is in the privacy of a coaching conversation so it's a safe territory people don't have an answer in fact, what they say is something very generic. I want them to get it. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. What does that mean? I just because want it to
2: change, uh, kind of. I want like, them to
1: be of like a, a different human being. Hands the
0: yeah. <laughs> right, so, which is
1: fine. You can say wish that, but I think your point is: let's get down to what I need yeah. from you tactically, yeah. or what I want from you.
2: That's right. And the other, the other tool I'd offer up here, Wanda, is a question that's rapidly becoming one of my favorite questions. And it's a question to be had with the other person that you're in working relationship with as a way of uncovering what might be really going on here. And the question is this, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said?
1: (laughs) I recognize
2: that. Yeah, it's so good because if you can ask that and then be quiet, it just invites forward that stuff that is small, small whispering they're not quite sure if it's real they're not quite sure if it's true it's that chance to more preemptively find where things are at risk things might be unspoken and kind of brewing and going let's get on top of that fast so you know i i have two teams effectively that i manage one for one company one for the other and when i'm talking to the key people on those teams not every time But, you know, at least once a month, I'm like, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said between us? Because I'm committed to this kind of clean, clear working relationship. Mm -hmm. And as the person who has more weight and more seniority in in both of those relationships, I've got to create the space to give them the opportunity to say the stuff that it just hasn't been the right moment yet.
1: I recognize that as a, a variation of a question from your coaching habit what's really going on here is the question from your coaching habit that tries to get at what the what is really there um i find when i get to the place that i'm working with two people that have have a relationship that's fundamentally broken and i don't get called in unless we're kind of at loggerheads yeah and in those occasions, what surprises me when you finally get to the bottom, you sift out all the data and all the judgments and all the disappointments and all the feelings and all the blah, 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 that often it's a really small thing. Right. Like, I don't feel that you value my work on this particular project.
2: Right.
1: Do so, you find the same?
2: Um it's it's amazing how misunderstandings occur <laughs> and in part i think because you have assumed that the basically the way you feel is the way they feel and what you care about is the way what they care about and part of why you're setting up the keystone conversation is to uncover difference it's it's like both a reminder of your shared humanity and commonality Mm-hmm. starting with like we both want this to work <laughs> we both want yeah. this to be as good as it can be and we've got so much in common but also there are just different things different weightings different things that are so when you have that conversation about tell me what we can learn from past successful relationships one of the things is they you know I, i'll use a bit of jargon but they they understood my love language and mm-hmm. so they appreciated me the way i needed to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. and i'm like so wonder let me tell you how i like to be appreciated <laughs> let, let me tell you what i want you to notice and say nice job with um because i know i'm like that's really helpful cuz i'm terrible i i normally never notice that stuff but now i'm like make a notice of, of <laughs> r- recognizing this from wonder and you know sometimes the, the relationship breaks because that i'm not acknowledged i'm not appreciated mm-hmm. and that you and you might be you're just not being acknowledged or appreciated in the in the style mm-hmm. That actually chimes for you. Sometimes it's a bigger betrayal. I mean, sometimes it gets broken because you know somebody's a psychopath and they're they're deliberately undermining you and they're kind of up to all sorts of shenanigans. And I'm like, that's that's not a misunderstanding. That that's probably a broken relationship. Um, but so often there's a there's a, an ability to reconcile if you can figure out that small stuff. So
1: in these repairs, is it good to say I'm sorry? Assuming I mean it, is an apology a useful thing or not?
2: Well, there's, there's, there's conflicting research on this. So um, and I'm thinking of research I read about in the HBR recently where it looked at CEOs who made apologies um, for something that their organization had done and it actually reduced their credibility to the, to the broader community. So you got that on the one hand, on the other hand, and this is my bias as much as it is backed up by research, which is, you know, I'm kind of the Brené Brown school, which is like vulnerability is an act of strength. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. vulnerability doesn't mean being, uh, giving it all up. It means around understanding what your boundaries are, understanding how to be generous, how to be kind, how to show as much of your humanity as possible. And I think an apology Is often an act that contributes to all of that. There is a way that, well, the the language I often use, I got taught this by a coach of mine, was you need to, you're responsible for your side of the table. There are two things going on in this relationship, and you're responsible for you and your actions and your behavior. You're not responsible for all of it, it's a joint responsibility. Sometimes uh, an apology can be a move back into a kind of victim uh, role if the Mm -hmm. thing becomes dysfunctional. If you have, you know, using drama triangle, the persecutor, the victim, the rescuer, an apology can be you bouncing between victim and rescuer to somebody else in the persecutor mode. So it can be a bit dysfunctional. But if there's a way for you to kind of in that adult to adult moment to make an apology, that can be an extremely powerful thing. Great.
1: I believe we don't have to debate this one, but I'll just put it out there that authenticity is derived by two parts, one part vulnerability and one part confidence. And that if I don't get the balance of those two right, the judgments are pretty bad. And authenticity is a judgment because you never know if I'm being authentic or not. Only I know that one. So, I can imagine I, I, use,
2: that, I use humble confidence in a so in a similar way. So humility for me is uh, my feet on the ground and an awareness of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So okay. that's a, a similar but slightly okay. different from vulnerability. So same, I'm agreeing same with
1: you. general idea. I'm with you on okay. that one or two. But I can imagine an apology where there is too much confidence and not enough humility. Or an apology where there's too much humility and not enough confidence could go awry. So it seems to me that getting that mix right would be really fantastic. Okay, I'm going to tease um, everybody out there to say that there are also six principles of maintenance, which we are not going to cover at the moment because I'm going to ask They're so
2: good. They're amazing. They are truly amazing. They're probably the best bit in the entire book. (laughs) All right,
1: Michael, one minute. What takes you out of your comfort zone?
2: Uh, you know, conflict still takes me out of my, my comfort zone. It's, you know, as I say, wonder you, you teach what you need to learn. And I am still learning how to be present to conflict that my friend, Leanne Davy talks about the good fight. Like, how yeah. do I have the good fight? Yeah. How do I bring that forward to kind of go, we need to sort this out. We need to clear the air around this. And I'm still like a bit nervous about that. Uh, i right. I'm, I'm I I do it more than I've ever done it before. But is it part of my comfort zone? It's definitely not part of my comfort zone. I'm still figuring my way through that.
1: Fantastic. I love that. And I do it anyway. And part of why I write about it. Okay, my guest today, Michael, what a fantastic conversation. Michael Bungay Stanier, the book that we're talking about is how to work with almost anyone and check out Michael's website, mbs.works. And I think my highlight of out of all of this is this notion that I can prepare, I can prepare in particular ways But I can just launch a conversation that says, how do we have our best possible relationship and work together so that we get good work done? Michael, thanks for joining us today.
2: uh, Thank you. You're a wonderful host.
1: Thank you very much. And everyone else, join us next week for another episode in getting
0: out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today.